Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week I sit down with a different industry thought leader to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends and how these trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Our guest today, Alyssa Knight, is the Senior Analyst at ITA Group, an independent research and advisory firm focused on business, technology, and regulatory issues and their impact on the financial service industry. She's here to discuss another byproduct of the connected future, namely the risk to be had from an insecure security practices in connected cars. Alyssa is going to tell us about some of the most egregious cases on record, how we can prevent future disasters, and what you as a burgeoning cybersecurity professional need to know to get involved in the practice of protecting connected devices. Alyssa Knight is a senior analyst with ITA Group, where she performs focused research into cybersecurity issues impacting the financial services, healthcare, and fintech industries throughout the, uh, through the assessment of sector trends, creation of segment taxonomies, market sizing, preparation of forecasts, and developing industry models. Alyssa said her passion professionally is meeting and learning from extraordinary leaders around the world and sharing her views on the disruptive forces reshaping global markets. Alyssa, thank you for being here today. Hi, Chris. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So, um, so let's go back. To... Sorry. <laughs> I said that was a great intro, by the way. Thank oh. you. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, yeah, we'll cover all the bases uh, right up front and then we'll just <laughs> it'll be it. <laughs> just want pe- people to know. Uh, so uh, to start out with the, the usual uh, first question for interviews, uh, how far back does your interest in computers, tech and security go? Is this oh. something you're always interested in or did that come later in life? Oh, goodness. Yeah, so I started with a 486SX25. Wow. Uh, back when the CPUs were square and you uh-huh. put the whole, like, you know, uh, CPU fan on. Uh, so yeah, they go back uh, quite a ways. Um, I started really getting into hacking when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, typical Hollywood story, hacked into a government network, got caught, uh, arrested when I walked onto the um, uh, school grounds. They were waiting really? for me and... Yeah, and, and uh, the, the charges were dropped because uh, I was interviewed without my parents there. They thought, uh, they didn't, I guess they didn't realize they were interviewing a minor. It was, a, it was like a couple weeks before my 18th birthday. Wow. And um, uh, yeah, so I got off on a technicality. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what did you hack into and, and, and sort of what was, uh, what, was it just, I want to see if I can do this? Yeah, it was a government network. I, I didn't, it wasn't for any, there was no really malintent. It was, yeah. you know, can I do this? It was more out of curiosity. And the good news is, is that, um, you know, because of that, I really had an opportunity to get a second chance and realize that, you know, it, it, it wasn't a black hat that I wanted to be. It was, it was a white hat and I wanted to be an ethical hacker and I wanted to uncover these vulnerabilities that were so systemic across so many things. It's, you know, and, and nothing has really changed since then, right? So like back then it was all about, um, you, know, tech, you know, getting the technology out there, getting the connectivity out there and security mm-hmm. was always an afterthought. So mm-hmm. I've been, I'm, I'm a recovering hacker. I've, I've, I've fallen off the wagon a few times. I've been doing this for about 20 years. Um, seems like it's like so long ago. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's been a while. Wow. Um... So you, I've, I've asked this of a couple of guests before, but you, you've had a pretty concrete moment where you decided, oh, I'm on this side and I'm, on, I'm not on that side. So it was an inflection know. point for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so having, having uh, armed police people, you know, approach you at school probably uh, is, is it's a pretty solid way to, to get that, that change. Yeah. Out. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's de- it's definitely cocktail party bragging rights. <laughs> all of a yeah. sudden, I was the nerd that was picked on all the time, and now I'm like being you know escorted off campus in handcuffs. Yeah. Uh, kind of puts you in the cool crowd. But uh, actually, because of all that, didn't end up returning back to school. Um, okay. You know, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I did really turn my life around. I started my first company when I was 17, and I took and I took it to a public company when I was 20, and wow. started in my second startup and sold that when I was 27. So, you know, I really, for me, it was a very pivotal point in my life where, you know, I like you said, I this was the demarcation point where I need to turn my life around. This is not who I want to be, mm-hmm. you know. And so, for me, that that was a wake up call. Say okay, I can do this, and I can get paid. I can get paid very well doing this, yeah. uh, and uh, that's that. You know, the rest is history. You said you've fallen off the wagon a couple times of of white hattery. Is there any war stories you care to talk about? Or yeah, that- yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and it's funny. Uh, so you in the introduction you described IT group, and I, I don't want the listeners to think that IT group is a cybersecurity consultancy. Okay, uh, that that does. Connected car penetration testing. It's not. It's it is an industry analyst firm. So IT Group is sort of your Gartner for the financial services industry. So you know the the large banks will subscribe to our research. And it, about around September of last year, I joined IT as their first cybersecurity analyst hmm. uh, to in their new cybersecurity practice. So what happened was was they were focused on you know, anti-money laundering, financial crime, that sort of thing in the payment sector and retail banking and said, you know what, this, a lot of the fraudsters, a lot of the anti-fraud stuff like synthetic identity fraud uh, and, and mule accounts, stuff like that, is a lot of the same adversary on the cybersecurity side. So let's start a cybersecurity practice and let's get someone in here who knows what she's talking about, at least mm-hmm. I think. I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> at least I get the perception I do. Um, right. So... That that's that's kind of where I've I've ended at. So to answer your question, have I fallen off the wagon? Yes, I have. But as an analyst, meaning that okay. now I'm a full time writer. You know, I, I it's it's kind of funny. I'm 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 a hacker turned CEO turned writer. Uh, just <laughs> this year, I published a new book on hacking connected cars, which will come out under Wiley, and okay. that actually will be hitting the bookshelves in a couple months. Okay. And so I, I have fallen off the wagon in the sense that I've been hacking connected cars um, uh, over the last decade. Uh, I lived in Germany hacking connected cars for some of the largest automakers in the Stuttgart corridor. And now I'm really, it, I combine writing with hands-on practical lab work, right? So mm-hmm. I'll write about hack, how to hack a telematics control unit. But while I'm writing, I will be there hacking a TCU. So it's it's a sort of a different angle, a different voice in the analyst industry where it's it's a combination of sort of the 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 writing part, you know, uh, with the actual practical part, it, which is pretty rare in the analyst industry. Uh, so my next question, and you've already sort of filled in a few of the gaps, but I uh, want to sort of get a, an unbroken line here. Could you tell us a little bit about the the career path that you've taken to get to the sort of senior level security analyst that you are now? I mean, you said you started a couple of businesses right out of high school and you became a CEO. So like, what was, what was your, your journey like in terms of learning skills, starting things, trying things, breaking things, what have you? 
you're going to laugh, but actually started out as a web designer, right? So <laughs> I, I was, I, it's funny, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, probably the only hacker you'll ever meet that is majoring in marketing in the university and mm -hmm. into accounting uh, and, and is also a former designer um, and, and artist. But uh, I started out as a web designer uh, at a company called Winter Rain Graphics. I was designing websites. I can see and it in my mind now with a name like that. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, it was in Silicon Valley, so I don't know where I came from. Okay. Um, but um, I, I do live in Seattle now, but that's a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, started out with a web hosting company doing web design and hosting websites. Uh, then, you know, my, my web servers were were getting hacked all the time. At the time, it was teardrop attacks, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And so my web servers were getting DOSed. And I didn't really know how to protect myself. I didn't know what to do. So the natural segue for me was go to the bookstore, buy a book and figure this out, right? Okay. You know, a lot, at the time, you know, the SANS Institute, cybersecurity training, certified ethical hacker, all that stuff didn't exist, right? Today, a lot of the, a lot of the cybersecurity engineers have the luxury of going to cybersecurity training. They have the luxury of you know, majoring, getting a master's degree in cybersecurity, all that stuff didn't exist back then. Yeah. You know, so I, at the time it was IRC. You know, I was on internet relay chat on FNET. You know, I come from the BBS days, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oblivion and modded renegade boards, upload <laughs> download ratios. And at the time, I started starting out on IRC, meeting other hackers and figuring it out on your own you know, faking it until you make it kind of thing. And then just, you know, learning as you go, taking your bruises and, you know, trying to figure out once you've defaced a website, how to restart, you know, how to, or how to restart Apache, that sort of thing. Just right. figuring out as you go. And then, uh, you know, then that happened. I, I, I unfortunately went down the wrong path, uh, made a wrong choice and, you know, got off, uh, was very lucky to, to get myself out of that situation. Then realized, you know, hey, I, I really am a, a leader. I really am great at starting things. I like to build things. So started my first company. It was um, a, a services company, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, when VPNs came about, it's God's gift to security, triple does encryption. Mm -hmm. Sold that to a public company in British Columbia. Uh, then took some time off. Went to go work from some some startups in the Valley in cybersecurity. And then went on to start my second startup, uh, which was Applied Watch, and that was a CM solution for open source software like Snort, Snort and Line, and Libre Tarpet. So once I sold that to Endace in New Zealand, took some time off again, became a fashion photographer, which okay. is a totally other story. Sure. Uh, and then got into back into penetration testing. So I've kind of been on the red ha red team sort of adversarial side of the equation uh, my whole career, and then got into hacking connected cars uh, after a contract win with an OEM in Germany. So that was my sort of segue into hacking connected cars. But I would say in summary, it was, you know, sort of web designer to system administrator where I was administering Linux boxes and stuff like that, networking to cybersecurity and, and so forth. So where, where was most of your learning? I mean, like you said, the, the, you know, there's, there's a lot more sort of structured learning now, but it, at most points in your career, were you, basically sort of an autodidact you sort of learning, learning what you needed to learn in the moment and, and sort of finding the information where you could get it. Yeah. So at the time, if anybody, any of your listeners remember security focus, 
Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was going to security focus and reading white papers or Googling, you know, and, and a lot of times just playing with a lot of the exploits. So at the time, you know, looking at the C source code for teardrop or, you know, looking at, at some, back then you had a GCC minus O and exploit. It's not so yeah. point and click now at it. Right. Now that is, you know, these is <laughs> interpreter and Metasploit and all that stuff. It's a lot easier to hack these days than it used to be. You know, you mm-hmm. have to actually get your exploit compiled. But yeah, I, it was a lot of teach myself. It was a listen night university kind of mm-hmm. teaching myself. Uh, so what does your effort today at ITAG group look like? What are, what are some jobs, tasks, or responsibilities that are uh, sort of a constant on most days? Yeah, so I, as an analyst, I don't really like to cover me two companies. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm really disrupting the analyst industry and trying to be a, a unique voice in the industry in the sense that I don't really like to cover me two companies. The companies that are coming, like, you know, hey, cover our pattern matching signature detection system. No, I want to cover something in machine learning. Okay. You know, uh, cover, cover our antivirus. No, I want to cover EDR, endpoint detection response. Mm-hmm. Cover our same solution. No, I want to cover SOAR, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. So security orchestration. You know, so I, I like to, so what does my daily job look like? It's, it's meeting with vendors. It's meeting with reporters. It's building my brand, my personal brand, while in parallel building the brand of IT group. So it's, 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 it's kind of like serving multiple masters where mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I'm continuously putting content out there and being a thought leader and a subject matter expert that's recognized in the cybersecurity industry as, as putting good content out. So that can build trust with the industry who are reading my research and vendors that, hey, I need to be covered by Alyssa. I need Alyssa to write about our product and be an evangelist for our technology and our company uh, that people take seriously and that's credible. And so I really need to continuously to build my brand, my personal brand as well as IT groups is recognized in the cybersecurity industry for its research in cybersecurity. So my daily job is, is meeting with vendors, meeting with CISOs, you know, understanding the pain points of buyers and also understanding the latest technology out there that the vendors are putting out. Because as you know, cybersecurity changes every day. Mm-hmm. It's changing every day. New zero-day exploits are coming out, you know, while we're talking. Yeah. You know, so things are continuously changing and evolving and just being caught up with it is really important as an analyst. Okay. Now, our, uh, it sounds like you're sort of two primary uh, foci right now are are writing and meeting with your clients. Do you do do you still do a lot of actual sort of penetration testing or hacking, or are you sort of compiling existing research these days more so? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it, you know I definitely traded the interpreter shell for Microsoft Word. <laughs> Okay, right, right. But yeah, I kind of like call myself a uh, Guy Kawasaki in cybersecurity, right? Okay. Um, but there is an element, like I said, of a disruption where I am while I'm writing about uh, a network threat analysis solution. Mm-hmm. I am actually deploying that NTA in front of a cardholder data environment, hacking into the CDE, taking the credit card numbers out of the database, exfiltrating it, and writing about what that product looked like from the adversary's perspective and what it looked like from the blue team perspective. So there is definitely this element that I bring of both practical uh, as well as you know authorship and, and really curating and, and creating new contents around what I'm doing. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the most challenging case or security problem you ever worked on? What did you do to sort of turn it into a successful outcome? I, I, I would say probably it would be in the connected car space. 
Okay. You know, it's such a labyrinthine area of penetration testing. Any penetration tester, any senior penetration tester, you ask them, hey, can you do this connected car penetration test? Can you go hack this TCU? I've never done it before, but it's all the same. No, actually, it really isn't. And you know, hmm. I'll probably get trolled for saying this, but I, I don't care. It really is a labyrinthine, very focused, uh, specialized area of penetration testing. It's you're dealing with different things. You're dealing with different, you know, uh, platforms. You're dealing with different connectivity. You, you know, you're dealing with the CAN bus. You're dealing with all these things that you don't come across against an Apache or IIS web server. It's just very different. The challenge that I ran in was doing a penetration test uh, against a head unit, uh, and that's the infotainment system of the car. Hmm. And really the, the challenge was, okay, we've, we've, you know, okay, we're facing sort of the kind of same vulnerabilities you would face in something running Android OS, right? So hmm. different head units will run different operating systems. Uh, you have TCUs that may run NVIDIA Linux. You have some head units that be, may be running Android. You know, uh, it really just depends on the OEM. The challenge was really, you know, okay, I know how to, breach a web server and pivot around within the active directory network mm -hmm. and and you know collect tokens or whatever and uh kerberos you're getting yeah. active domain admin right in the ad in the ad environment how do you pivot around on a car <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that a good was question probably yeah. the most challenging section of my book was okay we're following the penetration testing execution standard here yep. uh, i've done all of the other steps now I'm on the post-exploitation chapter. How the hell do you write on a post-exploitation step of a car? Yeah. You know, and it really is, it's, it's understanding sort of the fact that it's when you're pivoting around in a connected car, you still have connected components. That head unit still needs to communicate with other things. It still needs to talk to other ECUs. Right, whether it's the steering column uh, that's connected to the CAN bus, which the head unit is connected to, you know, it's it's understanding that the in vehicle network is very much like an intranet. While it may not talk TCP/IP at least today, by the way, a lot of fleets are moving to Ethernet. But um, while a lot of it is CAN today, it's still networked components. They're still networked TCUs. Wow. Okay. So yeah, let's um, let's let's jump right into that. Uh, to start at the beginning, um, uh, what are what have you found? Some of the most common attack vectors are that hackers are are hacking into connected networks, either that you've done or that you've seen, you know, done out there. What you know, what are what are the scariest possible vulnerabilities that you see right now in connected cars? Yeah. So you know, with I, I would say the answer to that is connectivity. Right. Okay. So so right now, whether it's autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, connected cars with auto autopilot, you know, they need connectivity. You have ma manufacturers, automobile makers who are communicating what's over what's called OTA or over the air updates with the connected car. Okay. So they need to be able to communicate with that backend. And that is typically usually always GSM. So the, the attack vectors, the attack surface that, that mobile devices, that mobile phones have over GSM apply to a car, hmm. right? So the things that, that you're facing with your mobile phone, such as rogue base stations, are the things that you face with the connected car. Okay. And really, the, I think the scariest thing that I would say is really just knowing that you're driving down 
the the street with you and your family in the car and somebody that's possibly targeting that car has a rogue base station set up your car the telematics control unit within your car is going to connect to a cell tower with the strongest signal ah. now if you've got a rogue bts projecting a stronger signal than mm. a legitimate base station your car is going to connect to that rogue base station and it's very cheap and very simple to set up a rogue bts these days so i think that would probably be the scariest for me just knowing that if you have if you're driving a car with you and your family in it and a vulnerability could potentially lead to loss of life or or safety concerns with you and your family it's way yeah. different than the ramifications of a compromised web server you know and and yeah. and having your website defaced or even ransomware uh encrypt data that's not backed up for me from from a connected car perspective it's a way different playing field when you're talking about the potential for loss of life yeah and, if and you oh, yeah. pull that network fabric through the rogue base station mm. you, you 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 control that with the world of whatever's connected to that yeah right? even if it so takes a disable a, encryption you can do all of that wow yeah yeah and even if you even if you can sort of get the car back on you know on, on board in a few seconds, like that few seconds can make all the difference. So Right, right. Because you have some companies that are talking about MSSPs for connected cars. There's okay. several that are saying, hey, you know, we monitor connected cars from our security operations center. But what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, okay, so you're going to respond to an attack on a That's... car that can, I can drive right off of a cliff in a couple seconds while you're dealing with false positives and other things, you've right. got more time to respond when monitoring a computer network from a SOC than you do a, a car that's driving around on the road. So what what are some the most, what, what are the basic preventative measures or even advanced level preventative measures in, in cars rolling off the assembly line that aren't implemented as widely now as they should be that you, that you would like to see uh, as industry standard? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I think the, the best answer to that is, is going to be the concept of network segmentation and micro-segmentation. Okay. So I, I have seen cars in doing penetration testing where the passenger wireless network is being shared with the wireless connectivity between the telematics control unit and the head unit. So, you know, and being able to communicate with that TCU from the passenger Wi-Fi network. So hmm. why am I using the same wireless network as the TCU, which is the connectivity for the car? Mm -hmm. You know, I, what I would like to see more of is OEMs creating uh, head units or creating devices that implements the basic concepts you know, and tenets of cybersecurity that we practice in regular computer networks. Because let's point the pink elephant out in the room, Chris. Yeah. Today, cars are not just cars. They're not, you know, combustion engines. They're, they're, they're networks. They're networks with wheels. They're yeah. cell phones with wheels. Mm -hmm. And we should be securing cars the same way we secure computer networks. If we're doing network segmentation and they aren't flat networks in a computer network, then they sure as hell should be in a, something that I'm driving myself and my family in. You know, yeah. um, the other thing is, is a lot of times, and a lot of people don't know this, but there are companies that are selling firewalls 
and intrusion detection systems for cars. So just as cars are now becoming these ethernet networks and uh, network devices in the in-vehicle network, and we haven't talked about V2V yet. We haven't even talked about vehicle-to-vehicle communication, but within the network of the car, you can implement IDS, you can implement firewalls, but a lot of the manufacturers aren't doing that because of the cost. It's always weighing cost with, with security, right? So are these sort of um, firewalls and add-ons, these are things that are sort of commonly available that a, a connected car owner would be able to sort of get and install themselves or how does right. that work? But, I mean, you, here's the thing. In my experience in talking with a lot of the OEMs, when, when they're piecing these things together, you need to remember that the manufacturer, a lot of people think that the manufacturer, whether it's their Honda or their Daewoo, whatever it is, uh, they think that they are the creators or manufacturers of all these pieces, the head unit, the TCU. No, the manufacturer of the car is just piecing together all of these other products from all these other companies in the supply chain. They're Mm -hmm. just Lego blocks that the manufacturer is just putting all together, right? So the, the thing is, is that they need to understand that with these with these individual pieces that they're putting together, there could be individual vulnerabilities in all those parts, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, there are firewalls that these OEMs can buy and implement, and there are there is segmentation they can do. However, they are, they're weighing the cost of it with it. So I've seen OEMs complain over, you know, the cost of a, a, of a 10 cent cable, right? Yeah. A, a $2 cable. You multiply that by an entire fleet of cars, you're talking about a lot of money right? Mm-hmm. For a $2 cable. So yeah. they're, they're always constantly weighing the cost of it. Hmm. I mean, is that something that you would, you know, if you had your druthers that you would sort of make it a requirement? I mean, it, it, it sounds like it, right? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it, I think what, what needs to happen is there needs to be some sort of legislation. There needs to be something that okay. says, okay, automobile maker, you can't put this car out on the road unless there's you know, network segmentation, micro segmentation between, you know, these, the, the, the in-vehicle network and the, the critical devices, the head unit should not be able to um, write to the CAN bus, you know, or, or communicate commands to other ECUs in the car. You, um, you know, you should have firewalls between particular components within the in-vehicle network. These are the things that I think should be there before the car is put on. We have, you know, similar things within uh, within the computer industry, right? You know, mm-hmm. certain things, um, whether it be safety or you know whatever it may be, those things need to exist and need to be there. Um, you know, let's look at role-based access control, right? Within Active mm-hmm. Directory, you can do role-based access control. The option to implement RBAC and you know. Um, uh, assign users to different groups based on their function within the within the organization. Why aren't we doing this uh, with the different issues and what they do and the functions they perform in the in-vehicle network? Hmm. Um, now, uh, to go on the other side of that, if you find yourself the owner of a connected car, or maybe you've even had one for a while, and you're not sure if you know your car you know has all these sort of um, firewall or safety features, what can you do to check or ensure that your car's security pro- protocols are other defenses are, are best utilized. What is, I know it probably varies from car brand to car brand, but is there some sort of a resource where you can look and say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this? Yeah, you know, there, there have definitely been some manufacturers recently uh, that if you search around on YouTube, you can see a lot of, you know, OEMs and manufacturers have, have had their hands slapped uh, for certain things. Um, there is an increasing number of, 
of uh, research within the automotive industry um, from, a, from the cybersecurity perspective. Um, so I would definitely urge, if you're concerned about it, I would urge you to, to Google, look, you know, see if there's any advisories out there or, or um, any research out there on the particular car brand that, that you know, you're considering buying. Um, you know, I have definitely have my preference on who I think is doing it right and who really isn't considering it a, a priority. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because the car buyer, the mentality and the, the pre-sales questions of the car buyers changing now with these new gen, with the new generation, like, you know, the millennials and, you know, these new newer generations is that, you know, before it, it, the questions would be, Hey, how fast can this go? You yeah. know, does yeah. it have leather? <laughs> right. Right. Now, how, how loud is the stereo? Yeah. Can I Facebook while I'm driving? Uh -huh. Can I Instagram yeah. Yeah, while yeah. I'm driving? You know, right. and, and it's all about connectivity and, and what mm. can you do and what can you not do in your car? Yeah. Does it have autopilot? Does it, can it drive for me? Can it parallel park for me? All uh -huh. those additional technologies. Ask the security questions when I, yes. when I'm, you know, when, when I go out and I buy something and, and it's something that I'm relying on for safety measure, you know, for life and safety, uh, I, I'm going to ask those security questions, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Hey, who makes the head unit in this particular car? Okay. You know, this is, uh, X, Y, Z, you know, manufacturer, I won't name drop in this podcast, but you know, I, I'll figure out, you know, who the, who the maker of that head unit is and like, okay, you know, do I have any experience with them or have I done a pen test for them, you know, or is there anything published out there? But I guess it's just being more vigilant, being more inquisitive of who yeah. you're buying from and what it is you're buying. You know, it needs to be a lot more than just questions about connectivity and technology. It needs to also be about security. And when we're buying these, you know, um, smart doorbells or smart cameras, oh, you know, yeah. those kind of things, we need to be asking these kind of questions, you know, especially if I'm putting a smart lock on my door, I'm going to go out there and look if there's been anyone talking about, you know, hacking that smart lock. Yeah. It's just, you know, basic things. Yeah, no, yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it, that's going to be the, the the real difficult sort of message here is, is getting people to understand that they need to understand this. Like, I, I don't think most people are even thinking in terms of this, like, I, you know, when, when, when we were, you know, pitched this idea for this episode, I was, I was not even thinking about the idea that connected cars could be hacked. So, you know, I think there's going to be a, a lot of messaging that needs to be done to let people know that this is even something they need to be worried about. Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen this, but there was that Jeep that was hacked uh, mm. and, and they took remote control of the steering wheel. Oh, and yeah. Were, were over the internet, were able to push the brakes, uh, push the gas, you know, turn on the stereo. Uh, it, it's scary. It's very yeah. scary. I mean, thinking about what you're capable of doing, and even in the penetration test that I've done for over the last, you know, decade, it, it's scary the kind of things you see. I mean, I've seen pre-computed, unencrypted keys sitting in world-readable directories on the file system. You know, uh, OEMs using the same initial key across every device in the entire fleet. You know, mm -hmm. not understanding basic PKI security and secure key storage of where are they storing these private keys. Um, you know, just the basic stuff that we as, cyber, as cybersecurity engineers were dealing with and were mediating as vulnerabilities 20 years ago are showing up in connected car components. Wow. It's just really, really dumb mistakes. You yeah, know, yeah. Just, just humans are the weakest link in security. 
Yep. We will always be the weakest link in security. And mm -hmm. what can be made by humans can be broken by humans. And until we get that, that, that we're, you know, we're not infallible, that, that we, we are going to get it wrong, we need to start, you know, we need to stop moving towards this speed to market yes. over security because security right. needs to trump speed to market. It just yeah. has to. In yeah. this day and age, you have 5G becoming a reality, cellular phone carriers putting out 5G. You know, it's here. You know, yeah. more and more connectivity is going to create more and more of an attack surface. So yes. we need to get that. So you, you mentioned it just very briefly, but you said, we, um, you know, to, to move on to it later, but what about um, vehicle to vehicle uh, connections? You were saying that that's a whole other, a whole other yeah. issue. What's going I mean, on over there? Yeah, it's, it's, cr it's crazy. <laughs> like, uh -huh. yeah. So what's, so what you have is, you know, V2X, which is vehicle to everything, V2V, V2I, okay. which is vehicle to infrastructure. You have in vehicle networking, it's a whole other world when you're talking about a car talking to another car. So what's happening with V2V is you and I can be driving down the road, mm -hmm. right? Two completely different cars and your car hits a pothole. Okay. You mm -hmm. hit a pothole. Yep. Uh, maybe your tire goes out, whatever. Uh, your car can actually send information to my car and a V2V world and let my car know that there's a pothole ahead. Hmm. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I'm not, and, and I don't want the listeners to get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I mean, this is, you know, with innovation, with connectivity comes really great things. Yeah. I think everything in my house is smart at this point. I'm just waiting for my smart oven. Yeah, uh, right, right. I, it, it's just, the thing is, is that it's not that it's bad. It's, it's that we need to understand the risk and the threat when you're talking about vehicle to vehicle communication or vehicles being able to communicate to outside vehicles. If you have connectivity between two vehicles, what does that tell you? It mm -hmm. tells you the potential for man in the middle attacks, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, if I can send communication to your car, letting you know I'm the car in front of you, there's traffic ahead, or there is a pothole ahead, and your car can take action based on my my information I'm sending it, imagine how that can be exploited. Yeah. Right? And we already know for, through the bruises and through the slaps on the hand that we don't get authentication right. <laughs> We're yeah. still yeah. trying to figure out passwordless yeah. authentication and MFA. Yeah. You, know, you still have banks where you can create an account and MFA is not enforced. You know, yeah. Passwords are, mm -hmm. are the only thing you need. Right. You're still figuring out, we need to understand that you need to authenticate the messages within a car. Let me give you an example, Chris. So sure. there's, cars are made up of a bunch of ECUs, electron control units, right? There's mm -hmm. hundreds of ECUs now within cars. The way CAN works is it's a single broadcast domain, right? It's a single collision domain. If you remember hubs, you remember hubs? Mm -hmm. So they were a single broadcast domain. You could connect to a hub, I don't even know if you can buy a hub anymore, but you can connect to a port on a hub and throw up a sniffer at the rail at the time and, and, and sniff and see all the packets of all the communication between systems talking. Hmm. This is the same thing on CAN. ECUs receive every message on the CAN bus, every message, whether it's destined for them or not. And they make a decision as far as whether or not that ECU should take action, that message was meant for them, right? There's no authentication. I can pretend to be an yeah. ECU and send a message 
to the ECU that's controlling your steering column or controlling whatever, your, your braking or your, your, your acceleration, and, and it will take action because there's no authentication. The, the messages are not authenticated. And that's the problem. It's, it's really just understanding the basic tenets of confidentiality, integrity, and availability with cars. Right? I, I mean, man-in-the-middle attack was the most common attack vector when I would go after a connected car. When mm -hmm. I wanted to, to breach or compromise a car, MIDM was the most common attack vector, person in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. or yeah. in the middle of that. Sure. Uh, you know, pretending to be the telematics control unit and sending messages to the head unit or vice versa when there's a trust relationship between the two because authentication wasn't being enforced. Yeah. Right? Now, is um, are the solutions to this these these is, is this as attainable? I mean, you were saying with, uh, you know, uh, with you know a, a, a car unto itself that you know it would be it's, it's a fairly low cost thing to you know include a firewall or, or segmentation or micro segmentation. Is vehicle to vehicle are these issues equally solvable? But for you know the the worry about the bottom line and money and so forth. Yeah, I I I've never been a believer in the fact that something is impossible, right? Yeah. I mean, look at my career, mm -hmm. you know, starting a company at 17, you know, yep. anything's possible. Right. Uh, it is possible to secure against these attacks. The problem is, is, you know, we've got developers hard coding API keys in their code, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we haven't even talked about that yet. Like cars are communicating over APIs. I don't know if you know this or not, but Akamai just released a report that more than 87% of the traffic on the internet is now mm -hmm. API traffic. That means that a majority of it is not human to application. It's, it's thing to thing, Whoa. right? So, you know, um, it is possible. The problem is, is that we keep, we're not learning from history hmm. and, and you know, whether it's hard coding keys in source code or, you know, implementing a single wireless network for all these different devices within the car to share with the passengers and their mobile phones, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's taking the time to think through these things and making sure that automobile makers and OEMs have cybersecurity engineers on their team. And, and, and that's a very common finding for me and meeting OEMs and, and car makers is that there's no cybersecurity people involved in the product development lifecycle. Why? Yeah. Where are the cybersecurity people? You're bringing in me to do a penetration test on a product that you've made that security engineers were not involved in and were not a part of? <laughs> like, that makes no sense to me. You know, it's, it's, it's like asking someone you know, I don't know, to come check the security of your house when you've got no locks on the doors or, or <laughs> you know, you have a sign hanging saying, you know, come on yeah. in. Yeah. You know, why are you asking me to test the security of your house if you've got no locks? You know, right. uh, that sort of thing. Well, that's, that's, that's a perfect transition to my next question. Uh, again, we're, we're the Cyberwork Podcast and we like to uh, help people who are trying to get, you know, climb the ladder in cybersecurity into uh, their their careers of their dreams. So for our listeners who are trying to move up the ladder, uh, are it sounds like they're not, but can there be jobs or positions opening up that would address these types of connected auto issues? Yes, uh, and more should be women. <laughs> oh, another I, thing we've I been talking about, about for about two months now. Great. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. The gender gap in cybersecurity yes. is still way too huge. Um, oh, yeah. So, so y the answer is definitely yes. And, and I'm a huge advocate of this. And I really... 
I do urge your listeners to reach out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter and follow me. Uh, I can definitely help educate and guide. I love that. I, I think there needs to be more women in cybersecurity. There needs to be more people in connected car cybersecurity. It is a very labyrinthine area of cybersecurity. You do have to understand some other basics and principles, but it's not it's not unachievable. Yeah. Uh, there is definitely a career path here. Um, you know, I, I, I what is the right path? I, I, I don't know. I, okay. you know, I'm a packet monkey. Like I come yeah. from layer three. I love looking at packets. I used to love <laughs> okay. staring at packets all day. Yep. You know, and so that really helped me when I would look at payloads of a packet or look at, you know, the headers of a packet, uh, in intrusion analysis. And so there's definitely a career trajectory. Um, I, I would, let me say this. It should definitely include studying for the CISSP. Now, okay. let me qualify that. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm, my car is going to get keyed for saying this. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you can we, we, we literally get two, two comments per video. You'll be fine. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, great. This will probably generate 200. Yeah, this, this but, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the thing is, is that I don't believe that you should be a certification mill. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. met some brilliant penetration testers, Victor Westbrook, you know, mm-hmm. the, I've never seen anyone more certification, but incredibly brilliant and knows his stuff. Yep. But there are people that will go out there and get certifications just for the certification and the right. acronym for their name and right. can't tell me the headers of a packet, you know? So mm-hmm. I've seen someone with all of the Cisco certifications in the world after the name, but can't tell me what the protocol header of a packet is or what the IP header and what order it comes in after the ethernet header, that sort of thing. Um, so, what I'm saying is study for the CISSP. You don't necessarily need to go get the CISSP, but okay. studying for it will mm-hmm. give you so many of the basics, the basics of operating. It's like, they say it's like a mile wide and an inch thick. You'll mm-hmm. learn so much just by studying the CIA triad and, and some of these other basic principles, so the certified ethical hacking course, like study for it. You don't have to go take the exam and get it, but study for it because it will teach you so much. I would um, prefer that you take the exam as well. Yes. We <laughs> I we mean, I'm not it. saying we, you we, should. We hear it in Infosec, of course. I mean, you're... you're yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the word, yeah, the words of Alyssa Knight do not necessarily represent the, the, the parent Cut. company. Let's refilm that no, segment. No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, here's the thing. I have certifications. You know, sure. I, I, I got the GX Certified Intrusion Analyst course. Yeah, I did the Infosec Institute stuff. I, I, I Those are good things. It mm-hmm. proves to employers and proves to people that you know what you're talking about. Right. That you passed the exam, that you did what it took. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that just because you take the exam and fail it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end of the world because you, just, right. you still gained something from studying from it. Right. You know, um, you know, whether it's an InfoSec Institute exam or course or, um, you know, whomever it is, you learn so much just by studying for that cert. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it shouldn't replace practical experience. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Right. Certifications are important and you need them. Some, some places won't even interview unless you have that cert. Right. But you need to make sure that you also combine it with practical experience. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's it, like you said, it's, it's a difference between the mindset of the cert collector who wants to, you know, catch them all versus having the right tool for the right job. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it'll get your foot in the door, but you need yeah. to be able to explain what a packet is after you do that. Yeah. If you know you know need I mean? this information. I've seen so many people flame out in the interview. It's like, 
I'm interviewing interviewing you for a draw a job. Let's try let's try that again. Yeah. I'm interviewing you for a job, mm-hmm. and you got your foot in the door because you have the GCIE or you have the XYZ you know uh, certification. But I'm asking you to tell me you know what shell code looks like in a packet. Yeah. You know, I mean, how can you have a cert but not explain that? You know, right. so it 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 really calls into question like. Yes, get the certs. They'll get you in the door, but you need to be able to survive the interview after you get into the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's let's uh, you, you brought it up, and I'm I'm thrilled you did because we've been talking to uh, women in cybersecurity for a while now. Um, so, what what are your strategies for getting more women involved in cybersecurity? What have been the roadblocks? Have you experienced specific you know discrimination or oh yeah uh, setbacks? Okay, you wanna oh yeah some, for sure some horror stories. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, it is real. It isn't like, yeah. you know, I mean the, the, the wage gap and the numbers, you know, um, are, around that are, are real of course. Um, but there, there, I've definitely experienced, experienced it as well. You know, I'll, I'll meet someone and you know, I'll get the question like, okay, are you the marketing person? You know, oh, like, you're the second, no. you're the, you're the second uh, female cybersecurity expert in two days. Who's had that exact are you the marketer? Yeah, that or, was the or, exact phrase. Yeah. Are you the salesperson? No. Yeah. I'm the cybersecurity engineer. I'm the one who's going to be performing this work. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You yeah. Know, it's, it's it's just um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, yeah. I don't. You know me. And and I and you know it's funny because the most brilliant hackers I've ever met are women. You mm-hmm. know, and and it's 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 dude. There's definitely a lot there. And now <laughs> I'm going to throw something at you. I'm, I'm transgendered. So okay. not only am I dealing with the whole, oh, you're a woman thing, right. but oh, you're trans. Right. Oh, you're a trans woman. You mm-hmm. know, and so it, there, there is a very machismo. Cybersecurity is a very more elite than thou, very machismo industry. Oh, I yeah. took a break from the cybersecurity industry specifically because of this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of arrogance and, you know, it's a lot of jerks in this industry. And, and, you know, and I remember, and I don't know if you remember this or not, Chris, but it was not that long ago when you would be walking around DEF CON and you would see, you know, girls walking around with green hair, blue hair, and they would be referred to as scene whores. You know, yeah. that was, yeah. that was a, an acceptable term to refer to women. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't that long ago. No. And so, you know, I think there, there really is, we need to change. We need to evolve. You know, yep. and, and, and I think the more women that get into cybersecurity and prove that they can write, that we can write exploits, that we can, that we can, you know, uh, hang with the best of them, you know, that's where I think it'll start to change. And, you know, <clears throat> I think it's, it's really maybe just, you know, may, I'm not saying that these people who assume that I'm a salesperson or assume that I'm marketing, it, it, that they're bad people. Right. They just, you know, they didn't, weren't thinking before they said anything. Yeah. Sometimes that wire is broken for some people. Uh, right. Or, you know, maybe they just run into a lot of women that are in marketing roles or a lot of women who are in sales roles. You know, yeah. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. th- may, they may not be sexist. They may be the biggest advocates of flying the, fa- the flag for, for women in cybersecurity, but they just weren't thinking before they said it. Or yeah, and it they, yeah, and it's also a perception issue within, if you're so used to, the the men are the security experts the women mm-hmm. like and and that yeah. you know with with you know less than 25% of the cybersecurity workforce being women like you're just sort of reflecting back what you're seeing every day yeah exactly and and or in that cocktail party you know like my 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 fiance you know she she's um 
so on top of it, I'm also a lesbian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I'm flying all the flags. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one is just not good enough. No. Oh, man. Um, so, Knock the doors you know, down. Yeah, like, you know, my, my, my fiance, um, she, she'll tell someone, at, you know, at a party or whatever, like, oh, I have no idea what she does, something with computers. You know, I think that just kind of gets ingrained in yeah. men. Yeah. Like, oh, back to the office and they just regurgitate that like oh girls just don't know how to explain what an ip is you know right or whatever i i, I don't know it's just i don't think people are, are i like to believe that people are are just genuinely good people and they're not these evil people they're like yeah. we must keep the women down I, right. I think it's just history kind of evolving and people need to evolve with history that yes, women were historically in these sales and marketing and support roles or reception roles, but they can also now be in cybersecurity roles yes. where they, they are capable of earning just as much, if not more than men, you know, right. and it's, it's, it's just, we just have to evolve. Yeah, so let's let's talk strategies about that. Do you have any, you know, because this this requires a, a pretty deep bench. It's not enough to say like, okay, we're going to have a ton of women in, you know, help desk roles or whatever. Like, how do you, you know, what what is the strategy for getting women involved in, you know, managerial roles, leadership roles? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a multi-tiered strategy, and I've asked it everybody, and and. Obviously, there's no right answer, but I'd love to hear your your take on it. Yeah, so you know, here here's the thing, and like you said earlier, I have a lot of war stories. Like, I I had a client who actually made a sexual proposal to me, uh, you know, in an effort to try and get that contract with them. Uh, I've had, um, and on the flip side, with the trans issue, you know, mm -hmm. transphobia, I've I've had a client not want to do business with us because he didn't want to do business with a company that was run by a transgendered woman. Mm -hmm. You know, just stupid stuff. That guy, of course, doesn't work there anymore. But, um, you know, just really ridiculous things. You run into it. Um, you know, like a, a woman in, in a decision-making role is is not, you know, that, that she would be willing to, you know, uh, to sleep with someone for a contract because we're a woman, you know, because mm -hmm. we're women, you know, or something ridiculous like that. Um, so there are those war stories. Uh, as far as how to fix it, you know, I, I think the more... I think the more women we have on the on at the conference stage on the conference stage talking about you know the fact that they just created hardware based malware yep. or you know that they just um, you know figured out how to create a rogue BTS and compromise your thermostat with it you know or mm -hmm. whatever it may be I think the more role models we have this will start to change Women in leadership, my favorite, some of my favorite CISOs and CEOs are women. Sherry Ryan, the CISO over at Juniper, you know, yep, Jennifer yep. Sunshine Steffens. I would oh, yeah. give my life for her. You know, she's yeah. CEO of IOActive. Very smart, very smart ladies. You know, the more we have, um, Caroline Ruiz, you know, she's my CEO of Latin America in, at Brian Thorne, Mexico. You know, just women bring an awesome dynamic to the boardroom. We bring an awesome dynamic to the leadership role. You know, um, I always make fun of, you know, I, always, I, always, I love the story. Like, you know, I believe that, and, and I know I'm stereotyping here, so don't kick me, but I, I mean, just, I think DNA wise, genetically, women are just a lot more patient than men. And like, you know, where mm -hmm. um, I've seen male hackers just kind of going like, okay, we're quickly in. I don't care how noisy we are. I don't care how much of a mess we make. Just get in, you know, mm -hmm. Pop mm -hmm. the service, you know, get a shell. It's quick and loud. It doesn't matter, you know. Whereas a woman, you know, we'll, we'll take our time, you know, low and slow. We'll, you know, yep. okay, you know, let's not make as much noise. Let's not make a mess of the kitchen, you know, whatever it may be. You know, sure. I, I just yeah, find yeah. 
we're just a lot more methodical yeah. and a lot more patient and a lot more, you know, it's just ingrained our DNA as, you know, as, as mothers, as, you know, just being more patient, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and, and until you get to the end goal. And that's, and, and that's, that's worth noting. Like, you know, I think that there's the sort of detractors who say, Oh, it's just, Oh, you're just trying to get numbers, a numbers game, or you're yeah. just trying to like fill some sort of quota. But like, you know, I, I try to stress over and over that, you know, a diversity of backgrounds and opinions, you know, male, female, uh, queer, straight people of color, you know, you're going to get different experiences. You're going to get different yeah. tech based on whether, People have, you know, chronic illnesses. They, you know, you never would think to, you know, make the buttons this way or whatever until you've. It, it, is, some, an, you know. it is. It's that whole argument that like, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, but right. you know, both planets offer great input to the same situation right. and a different way of looking at things. Same thing with men. You know, mm -hmm. I've seen men bring some great, um, you know, uh, thought provoking input to a situation that, you know, that I may not have thought about or that, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I think, I, I agree with you completely. And I, I read a lot of self-help books, you know, and, and one of the things that I'm doing a lot of ring on right now is writing. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that authors will talk about this, that stop like, and this was geared towards men. You know, this, this paragraph was stop writing what you're writing and then pushing it out there, bring it to your wife and have her read it and let her give you your input on it. It really is. There is something ingrained in our DNA and in our individual idiosyncratic differences in genders that that just cause us to look at things differently than a man or a man differently than a woman mm -hmm. you know and, and i think those need to be exploited to make better products and better outcomes yeah now so as we as we wrap up this has been awesome i, I could talk to you all afternoon yeah, but as we wrap up today um what what are the security challenges especially in connected cars but just in general what are some of the security challenges uh you see or are looking uh on the horizon for 2019 2020 and beyond Ooh, that's a great question. I'm going to close it out with API security. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, the average number of APIs that a company runs these days is 420. Wow. You know, you're, you, you've got Bezos, uh, Jeff Bezos, who went to Amazon and said that anyone who builds a new application and doesn't do it as a microservice behind an API will lose their job. Like everything is an API economy now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the API economy. And so that creates a massive attack surface because people are not securing APIs properly. Uh, this extends to connected car. This mm -hmm. extends to mobile apps. Uh, just a few weeks ago, actually, Chris, I, I dropped some research on where I downloaded 30 financial services mobile apps and decompiled and found that in every one of those financial services apps, 29 out of the 30 were not shielding their code. We're not putting any, you know, tamper detection in it. We're not doing any white box encryption and I could see everything in it and including the API keys, including the tokens, including AWS credentials and being able to then um, know that, okay, that backend API is not authenticating anything beyond the API key and API token. So if I, if I just simply add that bearer token into my authorization header, this bank or this credit card company is not doing any other authentication. I can pull whatever I want from that database. So it's, it's an understanding that, that, you know, everything now, the monolith, the days of the monolithic app are gone and everything has moved to microservices. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so if people want to find out more about Alyssa Knight or ITA group, uh, where, where should they go? You mentioned your LinkedIn page. Yes. Uh, so please definitely follow me on Twitter, uh, at Alyssa Knight. 
and that's also with an I. LinkedIn. I'm big on LinkedIn. And you know, you can even follow me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of my food. Cool. And when when is the you said there's a book coming out? When what's the pub date on that? Yes. Uh, it should be out in the next couple months. I'm in the process okay. of doing copy edit review. Um, and okay. uh, that's, that's like two years in the making. So it's been two wow. years of my life coming to an end. And the uh, title is? Uh, yeah. Hacking Connected Cars, Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures. So it's, it'll be through Wiley. It's available, available for pre-order on Amazon right now. You can also pre-order it on Barnes & Noble if that's your bookstore of choice. Alyssa Knight, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in CyberWork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search CyberWork with InfoSec to, uh, in your favorite podcast catcher. To see our current promotional offers available for podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro Live Boot Camps, InfoSec Skills on Demand Training Library, and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description. Thanks once again to Alyssa Knight and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.